I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Good evening, Seth. It's good to see you. It's great to see you, too. Our listeners can't see us, but it's good. That they can hear us. Yeah. And they can trust us. We look amazing. But Seth, I think you look especially amazing when you're answering a certain question. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to only be able to operate as if you were looking in a mirror? Or never be able to look in a mirror ever again? Wait, explain to me... operating as if i'm only looking in a mirror so essentially you know how when you're looking in a mirror and you raise your left hand in the mirror you're raising your right hand yeah so to raise your right hand you'd have to think i need to do this with my left hand so you basically need to learn how to do everything backwards backwards (laughs) (laughs) in some in some form or fashion Okay, then I'm going no mirrors. I'm going the vampire life. Is it vampires? I just said that, but now I'm like, wait, is it vampires? It is, That can't see themselves in the Mm -hmm. mirror? Okay. I just feel like that's not even a huge detriment to my life. Like, sometimes my hair would be a little more unkempt. But if I can't see myself, can I still use mirrors? I I think if you look in a mirror, it's done. You're, You're done. You're done for. Oh, so you can't drive and like look in the rearview mirror. Mm. Well, I guess I didn't think this question out entirely. What I wrote was for that option, you never be able to look in a mirror ever again. So oh, I guess okay, by okay. the letter that means no driving you, unless no you driving. do it without mirrors. <laughs> I'm still going with that cuz I don't think I could drive either if I had all my actions like reversed. Like, if I turned right, but the car went left. Or I thought I was turning right, but the car went left. Yeah, I, I'm i st- I'm stuck on this one. I'm thinking about this video. I think it's, uh, this guy did a TED Talk where he built a bicycle where when you turned the handlebars left, the wheel turned right. So it, like, goes against everything that you know about riding a bike to, like, turn the wheel and keep it balanced. And it took him, like, more than a year to learn how to ride it but he could do it and then he decided i'm going to try to ride a normal bike again and he's like it's probably going to take me as long of of amount of time and it took him like 10 minutes (laughs) (laughs) it was it was funny at first but it was really fast to go back to that that way of operating Mm. and so i guess for me that means it's possible and for that reason i'd have to go with that because honestly, as much as I'd like to think otherwise, I know that I am too vain 
to not look in a mirror for the rest of my life. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm comfortable with that. I'm, I want to know how I look and I'm just going <laughs> to figure it out. <laughs> but mirrors, it's just a passing reference, but mirrors do play a role in today's passage. So why don't you read this passage from James for us? I'd love to. This is the first chapter of James, verses 17 to 27, from the New Revised Standard Version. Every generous act of giving, with every perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, be not hearers who forget but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So tell us why you picked the New Revised Standard Version. My choice for the NRSV is pretty much my same reason as most of the time. That there are some language things that come through here that I think are really important. But honestly, it's for kind of a more poetic reason this time for the most part. I love the imagery in the opening verses about God being the father of lights. With whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. A light so light that there is no <laughs> darkness in it. And that imagery didn't come through as clearly in some other translations. And I also think there are some things we'll dig into here where our language is really important. And whenever language is really important, which it is most of the time, I like to at least start with the NRSV, and I thought we'd stay here this time. But I know that I was entering dangerous territory talking about James with a Lutheran. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Luther called were... it an epistle of straw. Nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> did you find did you find lots of straw in what you read? What was your reaction to this passage? Well, unlike Luther, I I like James. I actually think that Luther's distaste for James is partly due to his misunderstanding of it. Like he puts James and Paul against one another. But in my reading, I think we can read them together. So with that, I liked what we read. Okay. But I have, a, was... I have a simple kind of maybe dumb question. Okay. And no dumb questions, I guess. 
What is sordidness and rank <laughs> growth of wickedness? So that's a great question, Seth. You're right. There are no stupid questions. So this is coming from verse 21. And I liked the CEB's use or translation to maybe provide some clarity here. And instead of sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, it reads, set aside all moral filth and the growth of wickedness. I think rank seems to be describing the way that, you know how when you maybe walk into a locker room, yeah. that smell is just rank. Like, I think that's the use of the word there. Okay. Well, that was helpful. The CEB is good at, at clarifying that line. Okay. We got my not dumb question out of the way. But the next thing that stuck out to me is this idea that some people are just hearing the word, but they're not doing anything with it. Mm -hmm. Some people are doers and some are just merely hearers. When I hear that, like it kind of intuitively makes some sense to me. Like there's people who I think, oh, like they go to church all the time. And then you meet them and they're like not very friendly. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay, this is, this might be an example. At least it feels to me like a lot of hearing. Yeah. Maybe a lot, not a lot of doing. Yeah. I think that section is one of the most famous ones in the book of James, but also central to what we read today. The idea that when encountering the word in the midst of this community that, like many others in the New Testament, is figuring out what it means to be a people that follow Christ, the word is supposed to prompt action. It's not supposed to be yeah, something yeah. that's pleasant or nice to listen to, but it's supposed to spur us on to do what it says. And on one hand, that's pretty straightforward. But I think many, including Luther, have contrasted that with some other messages in the New Testament that talk about how salvation and life of God is dependent on God's action, how it's God's action alone that provides salvation, that sweeps us up into the life of the Spirit. That contrast, again, you alluded to it, has caused a lot of controversy throughout Christian history. And there are a lot of different avenues that we could take with this passage. And I, I honestly don't think we've spent that much time in James, but it's coming up in the lectionary, so maybe we'll get a chance to dig into it a little more over the next couple of episodes. When I read James, I think of a concept that one of my professors talked about pretty consistently, mostly related to the Hebrew Bible, of a trend in scripture of identifying core testimony and counter testimony in the text. Mm -hmm. okay. The idea that there are central themes and at the same time, there are themes that seem to directly contradict <laughs> those other <laughs> themes and yet they all run together in one story, God's story, that makes for a really interesting conversation. So is there anything 
Have you heard of this idea before? Is there anything that comes to mind when you think of this, either from this passage or elsewhere in Scripture? I guess what comes to mind immediately for me is this idea that, that in Paul's work, and this gets kind of taken up by the Protestant Reformation, is that people are saved by faith. And then in James, he'll say that faith without works is dead. It seems at some level like they're talking past each other. Right. Which is, I think, what you were alluding to. That's exactly right. On a cursory look, those appear to be conflicting statements. And I think you're also right that with more digging and more context, we can see them working together. But I don't think in our work to do that, we should erase the conflict that's there. Because I Mm -hmm. think raising these kinds of questions also raises an important dynamic of scripture that helps us engage it in a more meaningful way. Because so many people talk about the Bible as perfect, as free of errors, as totally authoritative and unworthy, not unworthy, almost like too worthy of being questioned. You know, it, it, you, mm, yeah. we, we are not worthy to question it. But there are some narratives and threads like the one that you've identified and others that present some interesting questions. I mean, there are some things that come up in the Hebrew Bible. I think of things in the Psalms where it's, you know, where one Psalm says that God never sleeps and is always awake and vigilant. And another Psalm that's crying out to God saying, why are you sleeping? There's a simple (laughs) example like that. There's also a, a large thread throughout the Hebrew Bible of kind of a retributive justice theme where people get what they deserve in one way or another. And then you get the book of Job where (laughs) everything is just kind of tossed up in the air. And there's this narrative running parallel to, but counter to that thread that says, "Eh, sometimes things are happening that aren't just a one-to-one correlation based on people's actions and I think that that message, honestly, I think resonates a little more with me, too. But there's still some tension mm-hmm. there. And then we get to passages like this one. And you've identified, I think, the biggest tension that comes up in James and kind of scratch the surface here of whether or not salvation depends on what we do or if salvation depends on God. It seems like there's some counter narratives here. The other one that's maybe a little lower stakes, we read some verses about anger, how... And if I can quote hmm. this, anger does not produce God's righteousness. Whereas just a few weeks ago, in an episode that you led, we read a passage from Ephesians, again, at least allegedly a letter from Paul, where the idea is, don't let the sun go down on your anger, and be angry but do not sin, implying that there maybe is some positive outcome for the community available from anger. Here, we get an opposite message almost. And then I think, too, maybe this is less of a counter-testimony and core testimony in Scripture, but I think the end of this passage actually kind of offers us a really profound contrast, too. Because Mm -hmm. we don't often talk about caring for orphans and widows as the core of religion. It's just not often there. But I also think the fact that there's this this statement, there's two things that the author of James says make religion pure and undefiled before God. 
and that's to care for orphans and widows and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Which honestly, to me, is another thing that yeah. seems kind of contradictory. And not that orphans and widows are stains, but that to keep oneself unstained from the world feels like a call to be removed from it. But to care for orphans and widows feels like a call to go into the world in a more profound way. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of the main thing I'm taking from this passage. Does any of that stand out to you as particularly meaningful, kind of wrestling with this core versus counter testimony that we see in scripture? I think there's a tendency to, to want to flatten these stories, or at least this entire kind of arc, to kind of try and find one through line that ties all of it together neatly into a bow. Mm -hmm. But when we read, for example, this passage from James, and then we read our section from Ephesians, like we can see that these, that there's variation and there's diversity in these different texts. That's one thing that I appreciate about the lectionary. It eschews my temptation to try and build like one cohesive narrative in this. And it actually in doing so makes me ask better questions. Like why would Paul say, be angry? And why would James say, no, 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 don't be angry? Like, what are they doing in, in each, what's happening in each of those situations? Why are they yeah. doing this? I'm right there with you. Um, I think when we encounter these, we'll call them contradictions for the sake of the example. I feel like the tendency is to either say, there is no contradiction. Let me explain why. Yeah. <laughs> or there is a contradiction and I will pick which one, therefore, feels more <laughs> right to me. <laughs> Where I think we need yeah. you, as we've said several times over the past few episodes, there's a, a third way, there's another way to consider that, and that's to hold both realities in tension together, and as you suggest, allow that to draw us deeper into the text. And so I think, I think there's an invitation here for us to do that, kind of a conversation about a point of this text, Thinking about, as you pointed out so well, what it means to be doers of the word and not hearers only. There's clearly some call here to action. But I'm curious to hear, Seth, in your life, in the church, what narratives around being doers of the word, what, what narratives around that do you find most helpful and what do you find unhelpful? We're exploring kind of this one one space of this one tension about, you know, how we how we act in our life with God. So what are what are some ways that you found that framed that are really helpful? What are some that might be less helpful? What seems unhelpful to me is when being a doer of the word becomes just like another thing that I have to worry about. Like mm -hmm. If it becomes like an, an just another part of my faith that operates like a checklist, like okay, I heard, but am I doing enough? Like, am I am I really doing the word? Like for me, what what I want to emphasize and what I think is helpful is when we talk about hearing and the way that doing can spring naturally from hearing. Hmm. 
that there's something about the word of God that hits you and transforms you and through the power of the spirit helps you to be a doer of the word so that all the onus isn't on me because that just makes me more nervous that somehow I, I can work cooperatively with God in the practice of doing. I don't think I sent you my notes, but I might as well have, because those are, <laughs> that's the exact sort of contrast that I was just really wrestling with as I was thinking about this conversation. Because I think that first area that you mentioned of the notion of being a doer, meaning we have to do enough, that we have to earn something that we have to prove something it's so connected to spirals of shame and feelings of worthlessness that again when we zoom back out and see this one thread of scripture in the entire tapestry of what we can learn from the bible we know there is abundant grace and love that provides more context for that but it becomes mm. so often and i think this is especially true among a lot of mainline folks like you and me because we think that depending on partnering with god to do work in the world we, we just honestly think that we can do it better as I heard from a recent episode of the Liturgist podcast, we ourselves embody the role of Satan in the, the role in, mm-hmm. you know, we become children of God who think, nah, I got this. And before we know it, we've created a bunch of demons that are all over the place. <laughs> so the So the story goes. And in reality, being invited into the work of the Spirit, as you so beautifully said, partnering with, collaborating with, cooperating with God. It is the invitation into something more, the invitation into the life of God's coming age that opens up something more to us. Hmm. That if we did not respond, if we did not do in response, we clearly didn't see what God was up to in the first place. Hmm. It reorients that last line for me the religion that's pure and undefiled before god the father is this to care for orphans and widows in their distress that's not just another item on my to-do list but that that's something that i would actively want to do yeah when once i've heard the word that that just seems like a natural reaction to what i hear god doing both in the world and in my own life. Yeah, it makes it in some ways seem a little bit easier, maybe just lighter, I should say. Yeah. Well, and I think, again, we we set up this false conflict with other teachings, especially from Paul, about what our actions mean as they relate to our salvation. But for people to argue, there's nothing you have to do You just have to have faith. You just have to believe. You just have to say the prayer. Those are all actions. (laughs) Like, (laughs) 
And I don't think most of the people who are saying there's nothing that you need to do are actually, you know, universalists who believe that God is going to save everyone. I, I actually think that's probably <laughs> very far from the truth. The invitation to consider whether or not our lives are being changed, whether or not we are being so swept up in this story that we're actually prompted to do something about it. That to me seems to fit right in with the narrative of a God who has done all the work that God needs to do to reach out to us and to Mm -hmm. open that door for us to participate in this new experience, this new thing that God's up to. And a God who has not done so much that there's nothing for us to do once we walk through that open door. I think there is space Hmm. for a God who has acted, has done enough so that what we can do, we can do with joy and with liberation, especially when it draws us so deeply into the world that we can be in the, quote, dark places, the places where the light has not yet reached and yet remain unstained. Hmm. This is another passage that just causes a lot of a lot of mystery for me. I don't know if it's the same for you, but there's just it's so it's so tangible and yet it kind of opens up something that's just not tangible at all. <laughs> yeah, that's the challenge of living in these tensions. It's just this liminal space what where we feel like we're floating. Like I don't have there's not a lot of guidance in the liminal space. Hmm. I think that's a challenge, but I also think it's an opportunity for us and for our communities to walk with each other, to guide each other in kind of these these gray areas, mm. to kind of be with each other and and offer compassion when we're worried about being doers of the word and not just hearers. Yeah, that is very Jamesian of you. <laughs> And I say that because there's a passage later in James where it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let them ask for it. And I've often heard that interpreted as like, ask God for wisdom, just like Solomon did. And hmm. God will give you wisdom. I already think God has given us avenues for wisdom by surrounding us with, uh, with God's people. And as we navigate these spaces where we don't have a roadmap, as we navigate these wildernesses that no one has ever walked through before, we may not have all the answers, but we do have the wisdom of the community to connect us further to a God who is inviting us to do the work with them. And that feels like a real gift too. Are we ready to pray? I think so. Can I pray for us? I would love that. Laboring God, you're constantly at work, bringing about new life and birthing something beautiful. Forgive us for the misconception that your coming age depends entirely or not at all on us. Equip us with courage, perseverance, and compassion to partner with you and one another to usher in your reign of peace patience, and justice. 
Mindful of the many names by which your children cry out to you from all over the world, I pray in the name of the living word, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Seth, what story are we looking at next week? Next week, we're back in the Gospel of Mark. We're talking about what I think might be one of the most difficult stories in the entire New Testament. It's the story of the Syrophoenician woman. So until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Jonathan. Thanks for helping me tell it.